0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, and coming up on this 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, our Gospel reading will be from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Let me read the passage uh, before we get to some exposition of it. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there's enough for its completion? Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlooker should laugh at him and say, this one began to build, but he didn't even have the resources to finish. Or what king, marching into battle, would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops? But if not, while he is still far away, he'll send a delegation to ask for peace terms in the same way. Any one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. It's, it's, it's It's a tough passage. Mm-hmm. It's it's Very Jesus dumb. Jesus um, making utmost demands on us. With me right now to uh, continue to expound on this passage is Peggy Stanton, uh, author of the new memoir, From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta. And she's been doing uh, the Malta Minute with the Catechism at uh, Ave Maria Radio. And so uh, she's perfectly situated to help us Reflect on these gospel passages in light uh, of the catechism. Good to have you.
1: Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Al. so good to be here.
0: Well, let's take a look at uh, this passage. What did you find?
1: Well, uh, it's, it's fairly brief in the catechism. Um, uh, paragraph 1618, interestingly, has it under the heading of virginity for the sake of the kingdom. Mm. Uh, I I myself don't think he's just talking about a religious vocation, but this is what uh, 1618 says. Christ is the center of all Christian life. The bond with him takes precedence over all other bonds, familial or social. From the very beginning of the church, there have been men and women who have renounced the great good of marriage to follow the Lamb wherever he goes to be intent on the things of the Lord, to seek to please him, and to go out to meet the bridegroom who is coming. Christ himself has invited certain persons to follow him in this way, of which he remains the model. Then there are two other passages that don't specifically refer to uh, this gospel, but they're right under uh that those that parts of scripture and i think it does apply uh it says the bible says detachment from worldly things is the demand of every disciple not just a someone with a religious vocation mm-hmm. of christ who must put god's will and the pursuit of holiness above all else
0: yeah that's the universal call to holiness right yeah it right. applies to all of us
1: and then 25 444 actually says Jesus enjoins his disciples to prefer him to everything and everyone and bids them renounce all that they have for his sake and that of the gospel. Yeah. Shortly before his passion he gave them the example of the poor widow of Jerusalem who out of her poverty gave all that she had to live on. The precept of dis- Attachment from riches is obligatory for entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and then twenty five fifty six re- reiterates that thought and goes on to quote the beatitude: "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Mm-hmm. We we've, we've discussed this before because the previous gospels have you know been leading us to this moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, when Jesus uses the phrase "hating father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life," the word "hate" is uh, one of those words in English that makes you wonder, mm. since we're not encouraged to hate any anybody, right, exactly. You know? So, what what does hate mean in this context? And uh, it's my understanding of it that it's uh, it's kind of it's a Semitic expression where they will take, um, you know, absolute uh, contraries Mm -hmm. to make a relative point. Mm -hmm. So uh, it isn't that we are to uh, sinfully hate our mother and father uh, so that we can love Jesus, Mm. but it means Jesus must be our supreme love by which all other loves are, you know, were detached from them mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in order to love Him. So I, and I think th- this is a Semitic expression, which unfortunately doesn't get explained very often, mm-hmm. but it shows up in commentaries uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very this is J- Jesus. Pe- people then come back and say, "Well, this was written in Greek, not Hebrew." That's true, but Jesus spoke Aramaic, mm-hmm. which is a, uh, a Semitic language, and you see it often with. Um, Hebrew doesn't have uh, a way of saying uh, good, better, best, for mm-hmm, instance. Mm-hmm. The way they do it is they simply multiply the the term. Right. So uh, we talk about God as holy, holy, mm. holy. Yeah, uh, I hadn't th- thought of that's that. That's good, yeah. better, best. I uh-huh. mean, that's the supreme huh. way of expressing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, do, I think that uh, these little linguistic differences... You know, that, that, would be, that would be a decent book. I, I would think somebody's written something like this, mm-hmm. where they actually go over these... Uh,
1: Strong terms. Yeah. 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 And, what do they really and, mean? Yeah,
0: and yeah. also the way that uh, the, we have linguistic expressions here, which are unfamiliar to us in English, mm-hmm. but it would be good to have those a uh, little... You know, that
1: would be a great book.
0: 25, 30-page book, mm-hmm. which points out the most common of them, mm-hmm. so that we don't stumble... Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people who have stumbled over this passage. They, I mean, they say, I don't hate my mother or father. Yeah, I, don't I know.
1: It, it seems, yeah. but in Monsignor <clears throat> Charles Pope, yeah. who's, who's frequently on EWTN, yeah, and also a, a pastor in the Archdiocese of Washington, he kind of backs up what you're saying. Uh, he, he says, uh, what we're dealing with here is the ancient Jewish idiom. If one would say, I love vanilla, but I hate chocolate... This really means that I strongly prefer vanilla to chocolate, Mm. not that I actually hate chocolate. So what Jesus means is that we cannot prefer, just as what you said, prefer anyone or anything to him. He must have absolute priority over even the closest human relationship in your life. And he adds here, this is something we really have to, everyone has to think about. If there's anyone in your life who can talk you out of obeying God or can pull you into unrighteousness, he has too much power. No one is to have priority over Jesus Christ and what he teaches. That takes you into family or deep social relationships where somebody has a terrific influence on you and because he's highly intelligent or you feel romantically about him or it could be your husband it could be uh, your brother it could be your yeah. pal yeah. and and you you are so addicted to that relationship that you're going to go along with what they say no matter uh that it is against what our lord is teaching for instance if somebody decides let's say they been married and then they want to marry somebody else but they don't bother getting an annulment yeah Yeah. uh they they, they've and and some people who've been very faithful catholics but they're ready to toss over their faith because they're so attached to this person
0: yeah Uh, that's exactly and there are times in our life where choices have to be made Hopefully, our family encourages us to follow Jesus. and But that's not often. No, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not, not even sure how often it is that way. Um, you hear plenty of stories, young men, young women, who begin to get enthusiastic for following Christ and uh, parents telling them, well, you know, it's good that you have a l- little bit of this faith,
1: but, you know, kind of keep it to yourself, all right? I mean, it, you don't
0: want to be leaking don't all rock over the, the place. Boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, or talk them out of a, a religious vocation.
0: I've heard of that too. That, uh, uh, yeah,
1: many times I've yeah. heard. Yeah. S- been
0: surprised by that. Yeah,
1: you
0: know. Yeah, that's that's especially true when you've got an only child. I think mm-hmm. at least I would imagine uh, that's where it would kind of bear down uh, the hardest. Um, discipleship is costly, though you you point out. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, and Bishop Barron, Bishop Robert Barron, has. Uh, Uh, an interesting uh, meditation on this. He says, Certainly one of the strangest and most disturbing sayings of Jesus is this, which we've been talking about, from one who pronounced from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How could Jesus possibly (laughs) encourage his listeners to actively hate those who are nearest and dearest to him? This teaching of the Lord though arresting in the vehemence of its language, is actually incongruity, Mm -hmm. meaning in line with one of the master themes of the entire Bible, which we've been talking about, namely that nothing other than God is to be worshipped. The greatest seduction to which human beings are susceptible has been on display from the beginning of the race until the present day. And that is to make something that is less than God into God, to consider of highest value that which is not actually of highest value. When we make money or sex or pleasure or power or even our beloved spouses and children, the suman bonum, meaning the supreme good, we wreak havoc both inside and out. And when we make God the sole object of our worship, all the elements of which we are composed, mind, will, passions, body, etc., fall into harmony with one another. And from that inner harmony proceeds a harmony with the things and people around us. Therefore, in the measure that we have made fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, and children absolute, we should hate them, we should break the spell they have over us. But when we love God first, then we will indeed love father, mother, brother, sister, and children with a proper love. That's, yeah. that's a good meditation, don't you? Think?
0: It is. It's excellent. And, and uh, like I always say, when somebody uh, you like, respect, you think is credentialed, says something that you think, that's oh, kind of stupid, such as hate your father mother. Yeah. Assume that you're misunderstanding something that they intended. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in just a few minutes with Peggy Stanton taking a look at this uh, Sunday's Gospel reading from Luke. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Peggy Stanton. She is host of the Malta Minute with the Catechism. And we're taking a look, uh, as we've been doing weekly, at this uh, this Sunday's gospel reading, or this, you know, this weekend's gospel reading, twenty uh, third Sunday in ordinary time. We're looking at Luke chapter fourteen, verses twenty five to thirty three. I'll just refresh your uh, memory here. This is the passage in which Jesus makes the the tough statement: If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, or wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is the take up your own cross. Uh, otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And we we played around with this idea of hating father and mother. And as I said at the close of the last segment, yeah, when somebody like Jesus makes a statement that on the face of it doesn't make any sense to you, assume that there's something you're misunderstanding in what he's saying. And uh, in this case, uh, it's a, it's a Semitic idiom, as uh, Monsignor Pope points out. Uh, which pits uh, the supreme allegiance that you must have to a lesser allegiance. And uh, the lesser allegiance can never um, displace the higher allegiance. Uh, If necessary, well, you have to hate the lower allegiance. So we've been talking about the rest of this passage, and uh, Peggy gave us an extended meditation from uh, Bishop Barron, uh, on this and uh, what else uh, do you have for us
1: um, I have I've got to acknowledge Magnificat which always has some you know classic meditations uh, you know the little kind of daily yeah we it's get.
0: excellent yeah I agree
1: um, this is from Pope Francis as you mentioned um, he ta he focuses on the cross which he frequently does and and suffering And he says, Over the centuries, campaigns of deceit and persecution have been waged against the cross, Mm -hmm. pounding upon it like waves, dashing themselves into froth and foam. For us, it is something altogether other, the shining standard of glory. God's most powerful weapon is the cross. It is with these mighty arms that the evil one suffered defeat once and for all. When we take up the cross as our standard of salvation, we sense deep down that the battle is not ours but God's and that he is the one fighting for us. That's a very interesting thought. Yes, the idea
0: of God as the warrior on Mm -hmm. our behalf Is again not a popular uh, form of Mm. spirituality, although it's actually even outside of Catholic circles, it's been getting some attention uh, recently. Mm. Uh, Protestant pastor uh, Gregory Boyd has written an entire book on God as a warrior. Mm. Um, And I know that this is an, we ought to think on this because many of us go through our our lives fighting the world and the flesh Mm -hmm. uh, and we fail to recognize that it's not just the world and the flesh that we're warring with or resisting but there is a personal agent Mm -hmm. who is playing Mm -hmm. on the world and the flesh Mm -hmm. in order to uh, separate us Mm -hmm. further from God. Mm -hmm. We have an enemy Mm -hmm. and I, I know As I recover the concept of Satan, as I begin to remember that I'm not just being opposed by the impersonal forces of the world or the impersonal impulses of my flesh, but I'm being opposed by a person, Mm -hmm. that gets me angry Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. releases an energy for for Mm -hmm. spiritual warfare, which... uh, Again, enables us to resist temptation and to vow to do what is right mm-hmm. so I do think this idea of the warrior uh, God mm-hmm. you know it's uh, something interesting. To keep interesting mind, yeah, yeah
1: because he he goes on to say this grace is given to us when in humility yes That's tr- the humility of recognizing that we need to be saved, we cling fast to the cross. When we learn that our glory lies in embracing our weakness, then the power of Christ can take root in us. The mystery of the cross springs from this paradox. Only the weak and the little ones are in a position to comprehend it. Only those who forsake every other hermeneutic of life and who know that they have to let the dead bury their dead. What a challenge, Francis says. This wisdom is that only in weakness and humility can we understand the cross. In this search for poverty rather than riches, humiliation rather than vanity, and humility rather than pride, we recognize St. Paul's invitation to take up the cross a scandal, as Paul says, for the Jews, and folly for the pagans, following the apostle St Ignatius does not hesitate to propose that the retreatant become a fool for christ yeah yeah
0: um, there's uh, there's a lot here a lot uh, this is a pretty rich uh mm-hmm. passage from Pope Francis, mm-hmm. focusing on the mystery of the cross. Which again, as you read, springs from this paradox. Only mm. the weak and the little ones are in a position
1: to, to comprehend. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, this is central to Christian spirituality. Though this, I, I, I'm thinking of Saint Paul here in Second Corinthians, chapter twelve, verses eight and nine, where he talks about the thorn in the flesh that he's received, and um, it's he mentions explicitly it's to uh, keep him from pride. It's mm-hmm. to help him with humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as as often as he's appealed to God to remove this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. the commentators are all over the place. I, think, I know.
1: Everybody's so curious. I, what is that? Yeah,
0: I think, I, I think I, I've located eight different interpretations really? of the thorn in the flesh, yeah, over the years. Oh, that'd be
1: an interesting Just book. Just go
0: over them all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, so let's just say, for the sake of conversation, that it does res- it does refer to some sort of physical ailment. Um, some people thought it was a particular eye illness that was rather disgusting to look at, and. Um, even I don't know how they know this, but smells and <laughs> in other words, it renders Saint Paul or could not have been a, a sexual people.
1: temptation.
0: It could be. It could be an ongoing sexual temptation. That, that would be very
1: difficult for yeah. a
0: man to deal with. It would be, and that keeps him humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, it forces him to recognize he doesn't have this power in himself. Mm-hmm. This power comes from another. Mm-hmm. It comes from outside of him. It comes from God who at the cross has been warring on our behalf to get the victory over Satan. But it's also, doesn't that
1: give you, if you adopt that, it does give you a sense of confidence because you look at a situation, you say, I know I can't do this, but do it through me, Lord. And he does. He He does. does. You say that prayer, do it through me, and he will do it.
0: And I'm a strong Mm -hmm. believer in that um, we have to be honest with ourselves with these kind of prayers, and we have to ask, "What are the results?" You know, we have to be patient because God works with us over time. Mm-hmm. We don't snap our fingers, and yeah, He right. comes and does our bidding. <laughs> the wizard, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But we should, uh, especially as we fight back against temptation, mm-hmm. we should ask, "Am, am I?" Growing uh, in victory, am I growing in virtue? Am I resisting uh, mm. um, again? Because we are called to be saints, uh, and I, I think we sh- we sell and ourselves. How many short. of us really want
1: to be saints? Yeah, with good enough. Oh, well, if I can get into heaven and hang on to the cloud, I'll be happy. Well, that's not enough.
0: No. Do you remember? I'm curious to know if you had this experience too as a kid. When we were kids um we it was always well, we hope we're good enough for purgatory never yeah, thought yeah, never yeah. thought of heaven yeah. uh always thought, well if I you make know, it to purgatory yeah, i will be okay <laughs> yeah and and I don't recall a single time in my growing up years that I ever imagine that uh um,
1: i I'm called to sainthood, no right, you know so Um, You didn't even, or holiness, holiness, that's for, you know, St. Francis. And And
0: that was a word I knew nothing about (laughs) when I was a kid. No,
1: but you you didn't even, that's the sad thing, Al, is you don't even necessarily want it, because that might interfere with your life here on earth. If I can just have a good time here, then... And still have a good time in eternity, yeah. but sainthood. Yeah, you yeah. know.
0: Yeah, it,
1: it, but we're supposed to be want to be saints. Yeah, and we
0: we should be holding those saints out. This is one of my pet peeves, by the way, that there are not enough biographies of the saints that are, I, I think, written. Uh, for adults. Uh, yeah. I, I think there I are agree. some where you read them and you are inspired. You feel as though you've... Be- I, Peter Brown's book on Augustine of Hippo mm-hmm. is one of those biographies which uh, was life-changing for me.
1: Really? Yeah. And I... Why, sudden, why was it so great?
0: Because I saw St. Augustine as uh, a man who had a past. Mm-hmm. Um, but who also came to know, know he had a future, and a man who held extraordinarily high standards for himself and for the church, but a man who also understood the grace of God mm-hmm. that was at work. He was a man who lived with conflict. He was a man who warred against his own impulses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a man who had access to the, the elite of Roman culture and society, and he was also somebody who didn't really want to be bishop. He he wanted to lead a religious life with friends. He had a strong impulse towards friendship mm. and a great a great teacher of love too. Mm-hmm. And all of that becomes real when you see it in in the mm-hmm. the, the facts and circumstances mm-hmm. of his life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I I don't like about a lot of uh, portrayals of saints. they're just not textured enough. Mm. I don't get the feel for what their daily life was like Mm. and Mm -hmm. what the fight was. There's some, like I said, uh, Peter Brown's Augustine of Hippo, for me, was Mm -hmm. critical. Not everybody's going to like it. And each of us, you know, resonate with certain Mm. types of writers.
1: How about Augustine's book himself, The The Confessions? Yeah,
0: that's beautiful. And... It is also, and here's the music coming up on us.
1: <laughs> Darn it. Um, we get shut down by music. Yeah. Well, we have to be shut down. I'd rather be shut down by music. Than there
0: the show. are plenty of confession, translations of the confessions, so if you've never enjoyed them, just go get another translation. <laughs> You'll eventually come to love it. Okay. Well, Peggy, thanks. Thank you, Al. <laughs> we'll it's talk again. Great. Again, Luke 14, uh, this uh, coming Sunday, verses 25 to 30 th- 39.